to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullick. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fullick. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to business continuity, emergency management, COVID, resilience, anything that's relatable to those topics, and anything that helps you, your organization, or your community plan for, prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If there's a topic you'd like us to talk about on the show, please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I am the only Alex Fullick there, so you can't miss me. And we'll see about getting you on the show, or we will uh, find someone else to come on the show, or you'll just get to listen to me chat about your topic for a while. Longtime listeners, especially those on Voice America, know that I presented at the Business Continuity Institute's Virtual World Conference in November of 2020. And uh, throughout all those uh, shows where I mentioned it, I said, I hope to get some guests uh, from that conference, you know, some of the other speakers. Today, I'm lucky enough to have one of those speakers. The topic was how to prepare when you are not expecting. And I'd like to welcome to the show the speaker, Jacobo Caparelli. Jacobo, welcome to the show. Thank you, Alex. It's great to be here. Now, we literally have people listening around the globe. So can you take a minute or two and uh, tell us about yourself, what you do, and how you got into this industry? Sure, sure. Um, I'm uh, a young professional. Uh, I work in Milan uh, at, a, at a boutique business continuity and crisis management uh, um, firm. Uh, we operate mainly in the Italian market, obviously, but we, we in recent years, we've been expanding uh, internationally. I majored in English literature, so that's a bit of an unusual background, but uh, if we can <laughs> call it the, uh, the generalist's uh, major, because it gives you great training in critical thinking, in, in analyzing situations that are, that are great skills to have in this, uh, in this industry. And uh, I fell into this industry. I use the word fell because it happened uh, a bit by accident. You know, you're, you're, you're not the first one to say that. Yeah, you're a young, <laughs> uh, I mean, you're a young college grad, the tough, tough job market. You start sending out your resumes, you know, bit by bit. Everyone's gone through this. And uh, I got hired by my current firm, Pantare, uh, in Milan. And I've been there ever since. I've been here uh, three, four years now. Um, uh, I now supervise the consulting team, uh, both for pure consultancy projects and also uh, some other things such as software reselling and some other things that we do. And uh, I've been, yeah, like I said, I've been here ever since. So uh, newcomer, relative newcomer, but with uh, a bit of experience now, especially after COVID, I think uh, yeah. a great trial by fire for business continuity professionals, both uh, new and old, I think. Yeah, nothing like being thrown into the deep end right away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome yeah. to the show. I'm glad you're here. Thank you. Thank you. Now, as I mentioned, your topic, how to prepare when you are not expecting, uh, you start off your presentation by talking about the uh, BCMS, the Business Continuity Management System. So can you kind of give us a high-level overview of what that is and the different steps that are a part of that? Sure, sure. So for those uh, who may not be familiar with that exact terminology, BCMS uh, is a short is the acronym for Business Continuity Management System. And uh, the idea is to put in place uh, procedures and processes uh, that uh, once they are set up and start running uh, sort of by themselves or established within the business, guarantee a certain minimum level of business continuity to, uh, to any type of business. So it can be, it's not limited to any specific sector, it can be anything. 
in my consultancy work, I've worked with both heavy industries such as uh, manufacturers, but also the complete opposite, if we, if you will, the financial sector, where uh, this is a, it's a very important topic. So, uh, like any management system, it goes through a series of steps to ensure that you put in place a continuing and as much as it can be self-sustaining way of doing things, if you will. So you start by setting out your goals and objectives and uh, sort of saying who does what in your first phase, which we call policy and program management. You move on. How, how, how detailed at that point do your goals and objectives have to be? Because if, if you're just starting out, uh, you, um, what's the expression? You don't want to be biting off more than you can chew. Absolutely. So uh, these, I, I guess the answer to your question would be, it depends on how mature you are from a business continuity perspective. So there are certain you know, companies that are approaching this for the first time, don't have anything uh, rigorous or established in place. They just have ad hoc procedures. And so they'll want to be at the policy methodologically have to be high level. So just say, this is my intention. Top management needs to say, this is an important thing. So it gives credence and uh, sort of weight to, 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 to the enterprise. And uh, then you want to, for sure, uh, establish uh, roles and responsibilities. So who is your business continuity ma manager and who does what? Now, the level of detail in this first phase will always be high level. Since top management is involved, you don't want to get into the nitty gritty. Uh, that's not top management's role. It's a strategic role, of course. But the specific details, how many business continuity managers you have, do you divide them by area, uh, geographical, business area? All these things really depend on, do I want to get the entire organization covered at once? Do I want to start from a smaller scope and build on that in subsequent years? Because you have to remember that, as I said, it's a self-sustaining process. So I mentioned six steps, but then they start over. So you, you write your policy the first year, you establish a program, you go through it, some things work, some things don't work. The next year, you do it again and you improve. Continuous improvement is a very important uh, element of this whole process. So uh, that's how I would answer that question. Okay. Um, after, after policy and program management, so you said, what I want to do, who does what, when time frame, as in any management uh, process, you need to make sure that everyone is on board. So um, for those of you who are not familiar with uh, the Business Continuity Institute, they have this very helpful, and I urge you if you want to go and look at it online because it's, uh, it's, uh, it's everywhere on, uh, on the internet. Um, you have the, the second phase is the embedding phase, and they have this very helpful graphic of a wheel that shows all the uh, the proceedings in the six steps, but the second phase, the um, what they call the embedding phase, and different institutions use different terminology, but what it basically means is it's at the center of everything and it has repercussions for all six phases because what embedding is, is awareness building. It's the sort of uh, soft work, soft skills work of getting everyone on board to realize what this program is, uh, what its benefits are, and, uh, and how, how useful how and important. Exactly, how it helps them specifically, because they w everyone will be involved in some capacity in this, in, this, uh, in this program, and it's a critical program, so everyone needs to, make, needs to do their part. And so through this phase is concerned with basically awareness building and okay. uh, getting everyone on board on every level of, uh, of the organization. Uh, number three, after that, is the first technical phase, if you were the first real uh, significant operational phase, which is the analysis phase. And that was a big part of my presentation because in this analysis phase, you basically, if I have to put it in a few words, you develop a lay of the land. So uh, we, we all have uh, at some level, uh, even in big organizations, an idea of uh, what my processes are, what I do, what my company does, uh, what are the most important things I do, et cetera, et cetera. But the analysis phase is concerned with making that sort of hazy general picture that everyone has, nailing it down, 
and discovering some really concrete things that will help me plan. So it's not just, it's a lay of the land, but it's a lay of the land that highlights certain things. And the most important thing it highlights is your critical processes. Uh, the critical processes for those not familiar with, with uh, business continuity and business continuity has a very specific term as professionals, as, as sorry, a very specific meaning uh, that professionals uh, know, but many people confuse is critical means urgent, not necessarily important. So critical means that if a certain process or a certain activity stops working, even for a short amount of time, it generates significant impacts on my organization. So what I said in my presentation to give an example is the difference between writing your college thesis and paying your electric bill. So you're writing your thesis, suddenly the light, light goes out. Now, repairing the light bulb or paying your bill is not at maybe as long-term important as writing your doctor, writing your undergrad thesis is, of course, that's your education, it's very important. But in the moment, having, making sure that you have the lights on is much more critical than continuing to write your thesis and keeping writing your thesis. You have, to fix, you have to fix the lights, otherwise you can't see and you can't write, you can't do any, you can't reach your long-term objective. So that, that, in, in that case, we would say that your light bulb is critical, is critical, while your thesis writing is important, but not necessarily as critical as writing uh, your light bulb. So that's what you do in analysis in the analysis phase, and you do lots of other things, but that's the main. Do you yeah. take into account the activities, <clears throat> excuse me, the activities people perform and the technology they use, or is it just the activities people? No, of course you do. Like I said, you, you, in the analysis phase, you, get, you gather the raw material you need to develop your plans later on. Right. So, yes, you need to understand what's critical and what isn't, but you also need to know, OK, I understood what the, uh, that this process is critical. Um, what do they need to keep functioning? So in that sense, what technology are they using, but also how many people do they need? Do they need a certain amount? Do they need more than their regular amount? When do they need them? So if I need at least 10 people manning the phone banks, I need to know that because if we're dealing in a situation where I have scarce resources, they may have all the technology running, the phone lines may work, the software may work, but if they don't have enough people, I may still have some impacts that I could have avoided if I asked them, hey, what's the minimum amount you can do with uh, in an emergency? Or they may say, you know, in a crisis, we get so much more work than normal. We usually work with 10 people, but in a crisis, we, in, in a situation where business continuity is involved, we need 15 20. So these are the kinds of things you ask for, you look for in your, uh, in your analysis. And I, and I guess the opposite could be true too. You could That's have all, you know, all the people that are available, you know, are all sitting there waiting, you know, either at home or in an office, um, but they can't answer any phones. <laughs> they have no... Absolutely. The phone line may be down or uh, just speaking, everything may be working, but they can't get into the building. Mm -hmm. So that's also another consideration. If your phones, this is maybe a bit anachronistic with landlines now that everyone has cell phones. But back, <laughs> in the day, but back in the day, if you only had your landlines and you needed to access them, they may work perfectly. You may have all the people you need, but the building is blocked for some reason or you can't access it for some reason. Think if COVID had happened 20, 30 years ago without smart working, it would have been much more difficult to keep um, your business running because we wouldn't have had computers to our we couldn't access our buildings where all our stuff was and uh, there were I, I struggled to see how how you would have done something like we did now uh, 20 30 years ago yeah it would be interesting to see what it would be like you know um, uh, so after analysis at the, after analysis what's the the next phase so uh, once you gather your raw material for, uh, for your plans, before actually writing them, which is step five, uh, what you want to do is develop strategies that then you will uh, sort of uh, make real in your plan. So what does this mean? So in your analysis phase, you discovered what your critical processes are, what resources you need, 
And one thing I didn't mention, but of course, uh, two different activities or processes can be critical in a different way. So just because something is just because two things are critical doesn't mean you have to recover them at the same time. You have maybe a bit more leeway on one thing than on, on the other. Uh, so based on this uh, hierarchy of priorities that you develop in your analysis phase, then in your strategy, you need to devise ways to make sure that the, that the resources that they need are actually there when they need them so that they are able always or as much as possible to access their building or do something uh, uh, alternative to accessing the building that gets the same result, that your technology is backed up, for instance, that you can access your data, that enough that there are strategies in place for getting enough people where they need to be, and so on and so forth. And uh, the Business Continuity Institute, like other professional bodies, uh, give you several standard strategies uh, to achieve this. And uh, uh, it, they depend on what your recovery priorities are. So, for instance, uh, just to give one example, um, there's a strategy called diversification, diversification. So you diversify your activities, which means just basically that you have the same activity running concurrently in two places at once or three places at once, actually. Uh, one at a safe separation distance and one close by. So what's the purpose of this? Well, if one... Say you have three buildings doing the same thing. One goes down and that thing they're doing is very critical in that it cannot go down. Uh, it cannot stop even for a second. Well, that's fine. You have two others to pick up the slack. Uh, and that is, think of um, uh, trading, financial trading. Now, th these are things that cannot stop for even a second. Actually, in our company, our president and founder, was uh, a manager at uh, a very big American bank during 9-11. And she said it was a mess because we could not stop. Like we, we, if, and if we stopped, we needed to recover immediately. Like every minute, every hour we lost, that was millions of dollars going out the window. So... In, the, in such a case, she said, well, New York, of course, was tragically hit, but they switched a lot of things to their London operations, which was, of course, up and running. And this strategy, you, you have to think about it in depth because having two or more places that do the same thing at the same time implies a, a, a significant cost, both uh, in uh, resources, but also in skills that need to be available, uh, data, um, any, kind of, uh, any kind of thing that one location has, the other one has to have as well. And so you want it for your, mainly for your most critical, uh, most critical processes. On the opposite side, if you will, uh, something, something that may surprise people who don't know uh, much about business continuity is that accepting the risk of a disruption, so not doing anything, is an acceptable continuity mm -hmm. uh, strategy. Why, why is that? They say, well, wait a minute, you just told me it's critical, yet you do nothing. Well, because just like I said at the start, you may have uh, not, you don't, may not have the capacity or the resources or the uh, know-how, whatever, some hard limit that says, you know, I can get my most critical things safe. I just don't have the bandwidth to deal with the, the things that are critical, but on the border. So what I say is, I know this is there. I know this is critical. I know it's an open risk. I know it's, I still haven't dealt with it. So that you already know that if something happens, that's where you're vulnerable. Okay. Mm -hmm. So even that foreknowledge is helpful in dealing with uh, uh, business continuity incidents. So that's sort of the opposite end of the spectrum. You have diversification where you ensure it never goes down. And then you have, okay, I can't get to it this year. It's in my budget. It's in my project for next year, but I know it's there and I know it can hurt me. So if something happens, you know, I deploy 
I deploy my strategies that I have, but I know that I have this sort of open, uh, open area that can come back and bite me. So I know you, it's there. You accept that risk for a while. Yes, yes. But you have to accept it formally. You can't just leave it hanging and say, eh, you know, let's just not look at it. You have to know it's there so you can react to something from it. Yeah. Right. And on so, that note, we've come to the end of our first segment. Today, we're talking with Jacobo Caparelli. Uh, and his topic from the BCI Virtual World Conference, how to prepare when you are not expecting. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Tired of the get rich quick or how to flip home shows? Are you ready to step up your game and invest in commercial real estate? James Nelson, a top New York City broker, will show you step-by-step how to acquire, operate, and profit. You'll also hear from real estate legends on how they made their fortunes and industry experts on strategies for success. Tune in to Real Estate Investing, live from New York, on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Business. It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? First, tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insight from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, get hired into the career you want, and brand yourself. The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. Today, we are talking with Jacobo Caparelli and his topic from the uh, sorry BCI Virtual World Conference uh, held in November and his topic how to prepare when you are not expecting. Jacobo, in the first segment, we talked about policy and program management, embedding, analysis, design. What's after that? Well, now that you have uh, your strategy, so that's the last thing we were talking about. Uh, we, you have your strategies ready. Now you have to actually put them in place. You have to write the plan, the, the, the manual of sorts, that will actually help you when something happens, when, when there's an incident, to deploy the strategies that you devised early. So this is what we call the implementation phase. It's the, it's the second to last uh, step of our business continuity management system. And this is your pl- these are your plans, okay? Just simply put, these are your plans. How, how detailed and, do they have to be? Because there's a lot of talk right now uh, going back and forth. We're seeing articles on LinkedIn. We're seeing it in Mm -hmm. some of the trade magazines that uh, some people are arguing they don't want their plans super detailed because nobody reads them. And then others are saying it should just be a checklist. And then others are saying something else. So what are your thoughts on that? So uh, there's there's been this debate also about the analysis phase, right? So uh, before I said you gather all this uh, data – but there's always a question of how much data do I gather? How detailed do I want to uh, go in? And, uh, you know, there's good points uh, on both sides. Certainly, you can always make things uh, more efficient or more uh, easier to repeat, even for the uninitiated. That's also a big topic. Uh, I don't, as a as a consultant, maybe it's great that they keep calling you because they, they, they don't understand how to do a BIA. Of course, it's our business. But... Uh, what we do here is we always try to say, well, wait a minute. It's not really an added value if you have to keep calling me. So we always prefer to transfer our knowledge and our skills. And the only way to do that is to present something that is efficient and easy to use while still respecting, of course, uh, methodological rigor. And when you talk about how much detail is too much detail or enough detail, I always ask, I always think about it like this. 
when do you want to uh, save time? When you're doing sort of the bureaucratic day-by-day business of business continuity or when you actually have an incident uh, ongoing? And if you ask yourself this question, you'll come to the answer that for the analysis phase, I want as much information as I can gather uh, that for business continuity purposes, right? But for your implementation, for your plans, you need, since these are practical documents, I, I, I can't stress this enough. Sometimes there's the, there's the perception that business continuity is just sort of a compliance issue. You just do it because you got to do it. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, it's true because, uh, let's face it, uh, managers will face a serious crisis not that often in their careers, you know? So COVID, of course, is an exceptional case, but, you know, it won't, it's not an everyday occurrence, hopefully, that you have a business continuity uh, issue. But when it happens, you need those plans and you need to be able to use them. And that's your other guiding principle. These are practical documents that you need to use. Analysis phase, gather all the information you want so that you can develop uh, adequate strategies. But with your plans, you need just the strict essentials and you need it to be easy to use. So, uh, and business continuity can be applied at a strategic level. It's called crisis management. At an operational level, that's called disaster recovery. At a tactical level, it's pure business continuity. But uh, for any of you who don't know, these are different dimensions of response in your organization from the highest strategic to the lowest, which is operational. Um, So in your plans, they have to be easy to use, concise, and to the point. That would be my answer because you need them. You don't want to sift through 100 pages when you're you're on the clock. Uh, You're staring down the barrel of the gun, so to speak. I I was in a course um, earlier, well, I can't say earlier this year, uh, (laughs) earlier last year, I guess, and, uh, you know, somebody in our group said they had uh, when they took over their new role, there were binders, you know, up to 700 pages long, you know, that were considered continuity plans. And there wasn't a single person who had time to read those. Well, that's your, that's your answer right there. If no one's reading them, no one's using them. What's their point? Like I said, it's not a compliance thing. Uh, I've had clients pass uh, uh, to uh, ISO 22301, which is the main uh, certification for business continuity, for those who don't know, uh, audits with very s- simple but complete plans. You don't need the 700-page uh, binder mm-hmm. to pass, uh, to get your certification, to, to, to have effective business continuity. You just need a well-done plan. And that can be achieved with a fairly slimmed-down version. Uh, of course, granted that uh, the relevant information is there. So after implementation, there's one more step, right? There's one more step, which is validation. And again, you think of this as a cycle, right? So once you get to the final step, you're not done. It starts over and over again. This year, working on what you've done in the previous year. And validation just basically means I've gathered all this data. I've developed my strategies. I've written this plan. Let's see how it works. So you test. Uh, You test everything. You run crisis scenario simulations to test your organization's top shelf response. You run functional tests, which are basically, let's see if my plan actually works. So let's see if I can shut down New York and get London to pick up the slack to, to reference my previous Doesn't that come with risk, though? Because it, it does. It does. You, have to- you, know, you could have, um, well, actually using your example that you gave earlier about New York mm-hmm. and London. You know, those are production environments. So there's got to be a lot of risk by testing, by shutting New York down. If all of a sudden there's a problem and nothing's coming up in London and London, well, we're fine. You know, what happened to New York? You know, well, we were testing and, uh, you know, there's a risk with that. Yeah, the, you have to, when you plan these things, of course, this is a management process like, like anything else. So you have to make sure it doesn't disrupt your business. So in my example, you don't shut down all of New York to see if London picks up the slack. You target it, you plan it uh, so that, okay, let's try to, uh, let's see if uh, 
I can have the London pickup calls that come into New York. And maybe you do it uh, at uh, a sort of downtime when it's not high of business. So these are these are common sense uh, measures that you can employ to ensure it doesn't impact your business, which is key. You don't want your tests to actually impact your business. Otherwise, you cause your own problems. Mm-hmm. Um, but you want to make sure at the same time that your tests are challenging. So we like to say uh, a perfect test is a failed test and that if you pass with 100%, you did nothing wrong. That's a failed test because that means you didn't actually challenge yourself. You didn't identify areas for improvement with the assumption that perfection doesn't exist. There will always be something you didn't think about. So if that didn't come up in your test, maybe you didn't challenge yourself enough. I'm, I'm so glad to hear you say that because I've said that many times. If you, if you don't find any gaps in your testing or exercising, whatever you're doing, then you really haven't, uh, like you said, use your word, you haven't challenged yourself. Yeah, yeah, you know? absolutely. And um, I, I would prefer, and I've said it many times, I'd rather find all these gaps and errors you know, during a test than when a real situation comes along. Yeah, and listen, it comes back to the question before, when do you want to find those mistakes? When it's just a test or when there are, uh, when your business is on the line, uh, that I'd rather the fr- I'd rather be the first case, uh, mm-hmm. but no, absolutely, uh, I agree one hundred percent with that. And it's actually normal and healthy, like I said before. If you're just starting out, you'll probably find many things that you you did, uh, so to speak, wrong, uh, wrongly. Uh, but that's okay because you improve on them next year, and this is a cycle; it keeps going. And you, the important thing is that you don't, you're aware of them. Like we said before, you're aware of them. You know, they're there, you know, they can come back to haunt you. And so hopefully when something happens, you already know what my strength, what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are. Absolutely. So let's, let's move on now to uh, continuity resources. Yeah. You talk about that in your presentation. So what do you mean by uh, continuity resources? So um, as when we said before the analysis, when we talked about analysis phase, the analysis phase beforehand, um, I mentioned you together all the data that you need to, uh, to develop your strategies. And one element of this is your continuity resources, which we met, we actually mentioned them earlier without giving them their proper name. It's, uh, if I had to say it in, <laughs> it's the stuff you need. It's the stuff you need to keep going. Okay. So it's the people, the assets, physical and uh, te- tech assets, uh, the suppliers uh, and the, um, the, yeah, the technology that you need to keep going uh, in, in, a, in when an incident happens and that's what you, you ask in a, we call it a BIA, a business impact analysis. That's what we, uh, that's what professionals call the process of gathering all this information. And so you go to a, to a critical activity because you only ask them for, you ask these things for critical processes and activities. And you ask them, okay, so you can't work for a full day or whatever, the, whatever your methodology is there. What do you need once you come back? So it's the question we were asking ourselves before. Can you do with fewer people? So can fewer people than normal sort of hold the fort while things are getting going? Or is your activity so critical that it's just like, I'm overwhelmed. I can't, I, in a situation like that, I know I won't be able to handle it with my usual staff. I need more. So to give you an example of this latter case, think of IT. So when something goes down, IT related, IT professionals know this, the first thing everyone in the company does is call up the IT, call up a IT, their hotline and say, my, my email isn't well, working. No, the first thing they do, you hear them swear that they can't access the application. <laughs> yes, <laughs> then I, can't I can't access it. <laughs> let me call IT, let me call IT. So in a, that's actually something you need to keep in mind because maybe IT, 
most often, if you can't access Microsoft Word in a crisis, it's not a big deal, okay? There are other things that are more important, but it's very immediate for a lot of users who may not even know that a business continue incident is ongoing elsewhere. So while you're trying to put out a fire, people keep calling you and say, hey, Microsoft Word isn't working, Microsoft Word isn't working, et cetera, et cetera. So an IT person may say, I know this happens, so while I deal with the fire, I need two other guys, uh, gals, to man the phones and keep everyone calm on one end while I, while I deal with this fire. So these are the kinds of things that you think of when you think of continuity resources. And it's helpful to think in silos so that you don't forget anything. So how many people do you need? How many, what's, what kind of tech do you need? Do you, are you... Uh, tied to a building or not, et cetera, et cetera. So these are the kinds of questions you ask uh, in uh, that respect. I've always called that um, people, places, and things. Exactly. And then suppliers. And your suppliers, you're also worried about their people, places, and things. If they lose That's their cool. technology, their facility, or suddenly they ha- don't have the people who can provide the service. So, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, uh, just to give you a, a quick use case here, what you said about suppliers, especially in today's world, is absolutely relevant because you may be perfect, but you depend on this other person, on this other company, and maybe it's not so perfect. And so you did everything right, and you still have a business continuity incident because something happened on there, and it's all a chain, right? Yeah. So in, in COVID, with COVID now, uh, think of all the, the, the companies who had their production sites in China. Uh, even before the the virus spread to sort of the western the western world these uh, uh, these companies were already seriously hit because china was affected and it's literally on the other side of the world for you if you're not a chinese company obviously who dealt with it immediately but it, it's the same if you're a chinese company and now you have a Western supplier, if that if that is the case, China's doing pretty. Um, I mean, it's coming back, but you know they seem to have the situation more or less under control. We're the ones now who are a bit uh, sort of struggling with it right now, and it, it goes the same way. To give you a concrete use case, um, I had we there's this famous uh, scenario where the where uh, a factory in Albuquerque, this was in the late 90s, early 2000s, a factory, a microchip factory in Albuquerque in New Mexico in the United States um, went down, uh, actually burned down, I think. And it was, a, it was a critical supplier for two companies, Nokia, uh, the cell phone company, the communications, mm-hmm. and uh, Ericsson, okay? Uh, both cell phone companies, they made chips for them. Now, on one hand, Nokia had developed a simple strategy, which was, I just have a database of alternative factories that can make this already vetted. I've already have contracts with them. I know them. I trust them. So within five days, I just said, okay, bummer. <laughs> I mean, nobody likes, uh, nobody likes to deal with this situation, but I switch my production to this other company and I keep going. Something that they dealt with in five days actually cost Ericsson their independence because they didn't have uh, another supplier. They didn't have this database of alternative suppliers, and they just couldn't couldn't get back on their feet because this was a critical a critical factory for them. And so they had to accept a merger with Sony to survive. So just to give you an example, you can be very good, but if you have this little dependency here, it can actually cause a big deal of trouble. And on that note, we've come to the end of our second segment. We are talking with Jacobo Caparelli and his presentation at the BCI Virtual World Conference in November 2020, How to Prepare When You Are Not Expecting. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. 
Tune in each week for the Labenthal Report with hosts Dominic Tavella and Michael Hartzman. The Labenthal Report keeps you in tune with market conditions, investment opportunities, and outlooks based on the stories and headlines to keep you in touch with your financial success. Are you picking the right financial path? Find out by listening to The Labenthal Report live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Small businesses are in trouble, and it didn't just start with COVID-19. From the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently, small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back. Tune in to Business Buzz and Business Watch. It's two shows in one, hosted by Frank Hellring. We'll help your small business bounce back with best practices, guest experts, and resources that you can use to strengthen your small business. Listen Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back. Today we are talking with Jacopo Caparelli and his presentation from BCI Virtual World 2020 and his topic, How to Prepare When You Are Not Expecting. Jacobo, lots of great information uh, you've been uh, talking to us uh, about. I'd like to ask you about software. There's mm-hmm. uh, a lot of software in uh, business continuity management and uh, you know, using that in our BCMS. How can that help us? Uh, you know, can you talk to us a, a little bit about yeah. that? So, uh, look, it comes down to uh, a way of doing things, right? So, uh, most organizations that I, I know, um, we, myself, I've I worked as a consultant with many of them. We use uh, Excel files and uh, or similar applications, uh, Microsoft Word documents for our plans, Excel files for our BIAs, and uh, that's 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 the way we do things. You know, that's where we gather our raw data and we use it for our reporting, our plans, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. And I just think uh, nowadays, I think that is no longer a sustainable way uh, to do things. You know, we talk a lot about uh, in many, in almost every uh, asp- industry on the market, the importance of data and how data is an important resource for you. Know? So when we're talking about business continuity, where the, the gathering raw data is very important, uh, uh, for your plans, uh, you need to make sure you actually can uh, you actually can use it. Give it uh, give it a sort of uh, I, I don't like the word, but empower it in some way. So what 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 does that mean? Well, if you use an Excel file, and there's a reason why I uh, I stress this topic in my presentation because if you use an Excel file, especially in large organizations, I think that's at the heart of some frustration you see with uh, the analysis phase as it, as it is currently done, uh, because especially for large organizations, you, you produce an enormous amount of data. So, and just physically, a lot of Excel sheets, all these numbers here and there, and it's not clear how you get it to communicate, how you get it to uh, talk to each other and generate uh, uh, ideas for different strategies. Also, you spend so much time sifting through this these Excel files that you actually don't have time. I mean, it takes away time. I don't want to say you don't have time, but it takes away time from uh, from developing strategic ideas. So where software comes in is it takes this burden off and it empowers you to give more from a business continuity perspective to your organization. It simultaneously um, it, it lessens the operational burden of just put, plugging this data into Excel. Uh, and it, uh, it, it, there's, a computer is much smarter in certain ways than we can. It can do many things faster than we can. So that, if I ha- need to aggregate data, anyone who's worked with five different Excel sheets know how uh, time-consuming that may be. In there. So- 
Exactly. We've all been there. Uh, with software, it, it, often it's just a click. And so I think that's an advantage that it's just not sustainable to not explore uh, anymore. And well, now, now, you, now you got me thinking, what about AI in software, either in software or as something separate? What are your thoughts on that? Well, that's, that, that, that's going to be the new frontier, isn't it? You know, just smarter and smarter software that actually learns every time you have these things with neural net. My brother is a physicist and he does these things with neural nets and everything. It's amazing what they can do nowadays. That's going to be the new frontier, of course, smarter and smarter software. But it's just because, look, I had, I had this client early COVID. And this is why I'm passionate about this topic because, you know, there's even livelihoods and lives on the line for business continuity purposes. I mean, it, it can seem overly dramatic to say it, but if a company shuts down in a plant in, in Albuquerque, like I said before, that, that is often the livelihood of, of an entire community. So th th these are real issues. And I have this client, for instance, uh, early days of COVID, we, no one knew what the, what the heck was going on. And he, and he asks us, look, I need a cost-benefit analysis of shutting down my HQ because it was still up in the air. The government still hadn't taken action. So there was uncertainty. And uh, he, this, 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 this client had all these Excel sheets but had no software solution, had nothing. So it was a real struggle to get put everything together. And by the time you actually got to a result, the government had stepped in and said, oh, just, just shut down. But in the meantime, there was all this uncertainty, right? With uh, many software solutions on the market, anyone will know, that, that is actually a relatively simple procedure because the information is already there. You just have to tell the software, okay, look at this, and it gives you a result. So the same thing could have been accomplished literally. He could have done it without even asking me. So... Uh, uh, in that case, you know, it, it's just not with the amount of data we have, uh, the, the complexity of today's world, it's just not feasible to keep working uh, in an analog way. We need to go digital. And in some ways, as an industry, we're a bit behind the times there. I still see the majority of my clients use Excel, use Word, which it has its place. But, you know, you have to you have to innovate here because it's just not sustainable. I was just going to ask you about that if you felt the industry was behind, you know, because there are so many who use Excel and Word, you know, and PowerPoint or whatever else, you know, and I've been guilty of, you know, yeah. multiple Excel spreadsheets, having to link them all up and exactly, try to get to right, some right. sort of a summary page with all exactly, this stuff. Exactly, exactly. It's just, it's just so time-consuming. No, okay, so keep in mind this is the perspective of, of a newcomer, of course. Someone who's been in the industry far longer will have maybe a different view on this. But just as in, in my experience, it's not just in software that we're a bit behind. It's also in how companies see planning and this sort of worst case scenario mentality in general. No? It, it's, the, it's the idea of, oh, it will never happen. Why are we doing this? That will never happen. That will never happen. It's the worst, everyone could, you, you, absolutely, you know, it's the worst obstacle you can meet. And you need to find new and new ways as an industry. You need to find a new and new ways of bringing people on board to this way of thinking because well, then, of course, as I said, we've been saying all my um, industry friends, we've been saying now we're everybody's best friend, no? because now suddenly <laughs> this continuity is, is important, right? Yeah. But for years, uh, for years, you struggle to give the adequate support. And what I would say is, we need to try to find new ways of saying the same things. We all know business continuity is important. And one thing that COVID has really brought to my mind with the importance of planning in general is that it helps you avoid as much as possible uh, no-win decisions. So you have these scenarios where you only have two choices and they're both bad, right? <laughs> and you ask yourself, well, what could I have done? What could I do in that situation? And in the moment, you really can't. It's either one or the other. But with adequate planning, you can avoid those, those, uh, those terrible decisions. Just as a practical example, many, it's, it's uh, uh, a bit out of left field, but many governments found, for instance, we have this case here in Italy of uh, bread lines for homeless people. 
right? So during COVID, everything, of, of course, shut down, but they depended on handouts and food stamps and uh, places to get their food. And what do you do there? 30, do you allow, 30 seconds. Yes. Do you allow the congregation or do, you, or do you shut down and get them without food? It's a terrible decision to make. With adequate planning, you know what your critical services are, you know what your critical activities are, so you can avoid those terrible decisions that in that case have to deal with uh, uh, life or death, but for a business can mean the difference between survival and uh, failure. And on that note, we've come to the end of our show. Jacobo, thanks very much. It's really good to have some uh, new, fresh, uh, you know, uh, younger people you know, talk about the industry and give their insights on things. You know, uh, that's always refreshing for, for an old dog like me who's been around for a while. You know, so yeah, thank you very much, Alex. Yeah, it's always good to hear something new, you know, and fresh coming aboard. Thank you very much, and congratulations on your presentation in uh, at BCI Virtual World. You know, thank you, and, thank you. Uh, you know, anytime you want to talk again, please uh, feel free, reach out, and we'll get you back and maybe get some fresh insights from you. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, great to be here. Thank you for having me. And to everybody listening and everybody watching, stay prepared, everyone. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.